So it was maybe 15 or so years ago. My, my grandma, we call her Nanny. So Nanny calls me. And uh, she asked me, Chris, will you help me get a computer? And so she wants a computer. Uh, she was in her early 70s at the time, and she had zero computer experience, none whatsoever. But she'd heard about this thing called email, and she decided that this is what was missing from her life. I need, I need email in my life because someone told her it's the best way to stay in touch with people. And so uh, and we talked about it, and I'm like, you know, I don't think this is going to work. Uh, not to mention that the area that she lives in, they still to this day don't have cable internet. So we're using dial-up, okay? Some of you remember that. And so that's what she wanted to use. And so like, no, I don't think this is bad. But finally, she gives me some money. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll get you a computer. So we, we go and we, we get something, a real cheap computer, just a, a, you remember, basic CPU tower. It's the monitor, it's the mouse, it's the keyboard. Simple, right? Wrong, not simple. This is not simple. This is my nanny we're talking about. She got the flip phone to replace her house phone and couldn't check her voicemail for four years. It was like, I just don't know. And she's still checking the answering machine. I'm like, it's not on there. It's not on there. This is not simple. But uh, I, I get the computer. I go over to her house. I set it up and I give her some lessons. And she's got no experience. Typewriter. She's thinking this is just a really fancy typewriter. That's, I get her going and, and no lie, guys, she pulls out a big legal pad, like a notepad, and she starts taking notes. One, push silver button. I'm like, this is not going to work. And it took a long time. And I remember, I remember this. Like, it's like two hours in, and I'm like, I just don't think this computer's ever going to send an email. I just don't think it's going to happen. And so we get it going, and she's got her notes. So um, then she spends the next few days, she calls me every single day with questions. Like, okay, I got a question, honey. And I'm like, are you following your list? Yeah, but, and I don't know what she was doing, because she certainly wasn't sending me emails. But she's like working on this. And then she calls me one day, and she's in a total panic. She's like, ah, I broke it. It's broken. I ruined it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's broke? The computer? No, you've had it like nine days, Nanny. There's no way this thing is broken. What's wrong? Talk me through it. It's probably not broken. She says, well, it won't come on. I'm pushing the button like you said, and it won't come on. It's broken. I've ruined it. I'm like, wait, so hold on. Slow down. Talk me through it. You know, are you following the notes that you took? Are you, yeah, I follow the notes. It's broken. It's ruined. My nanny has a tend to lean towards the dramatic. And so I'm like, it's fine. You know, talk me through it. So I calm her down, and I talk her through it. <sighs> Listen, this is what was going on. She had been sitting at this desk, and she was... Turning on the button on the monitor, on, off, on, off, on, off, on the monitor. And she had forgotten that there was this box under the table that is actually the computer. Totally forgot that. And I'm, I finally, she's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, push the button. Oh, my goodness. Here, here, you know what the saddest thing is? To this day, I have still never received an email from my nanny. I like guess. It never happened. She just, she decided that the, the internet thing was not all that it was cracked up to be. I, she, so, okay, we're in this third week of our teaching series called Stuck, Finding the Keys to Freedom. And this week, I start with this story about my sweet nanny. Pray for nanny. She's, she's not doing well, but God bless her. Um, but she, uh, I talk about that because sometimes we get stuck in a problem. And actually, one of the reasons we're stuck is because we're looking for the solution in the completely wrong place. You know, like, we got something going on down here, but we're sitting here pushing the button on the monitor, and it's not helping. And we're doing the best we can. That's all we can figure out. But we're just, like, we're, we're really digging in the wrong area to fix things. And I think that's something that we can all kind of relate to. 
Every week, we love to look at the Bible for answers to life's most important questions. And so we're going to dive right in today. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 5. John is in the New Testament of the Bible. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus. And so in the book of John, we get a really concise, I love John's language. Uh, John, John's just a real simple guy, and he uses simple words. And so that's one reason why I like John. We're going to be in John chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones we give away every week. So make sure you grab one in the lobby before you go today. There's actually a little chair right as you leave our door from this room. It's got free Bibles. Please take one. We want everybody to have a good, readable version of the the Bible. But as we look in John chapter 5, we're going to meet a guy who was stuck in a similar situation as my nanny. He had an issue, and he was kind of trying to fix it in his own way. And uh, as we jump into John chapter 5, the first couple of verses actually give us our context and our scene. So just jump in. It's going to be the screen behind me as well. John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says this, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. So this is kind of the setup. In the three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry, uh, there are these kind of punctuations throughout his ministry where he makes a trip to Jerusalem. And most of them, I think, are for uh, religious festivals, the Jewish religious festivals. And so as he's going through, and so we see John sets this up. He doesn't actually tell us which Jewish festival in this particular passage, but he's like, he's going down there. The best we can figure, this is about two years into his three and a half year ministry. So he's about a year, year and a half away from the crucifixion, the resurrection. And things are actually starting to heat up on the political front with Jesus. If you were here during our Easter stuff, you might remember some of that stuff was going as we were talking about the hope is rising series, but he goes to this place. It's kind of a, an interesting place, a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, this is why it was interesting and, and pretty unique. It had this urban legend surrounding it, and, and John actually tells us a little bit about it in verse 3. It says, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Okay, so there's these people... Why? Well, in some of our English Bibles, there's a footnote. You might have it there. And and this kind of gives us a little bit more of the urban legend behind it. It says that they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, it was said that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. And so there are all these sick and disabled people, and they're sitting around this pool, and it was kind of like a magical pool. And there was this legend around it that every now and then the water would move. And whenever the water moves, you got to get in. And the first one in would be healed from whatever's going wrong with them. I don't know if it actually worked. There's no indication that Jesus or John that wrote this believed that it worked. Uh, But I tell you who believed that it worked. All these people who were sitting around the pool. And so they're sitting there and there's this crowd. And Jesus does this thing. Uh, he, He goes to this crowd and this crowd, speaking of being stuck, these are people who are all stuck. They're stuck in whatever illness, disability that they have. And Jesus is about to walk up to one of them and kind of change his life. Let's just keep reading. In verse 5, we're going to meet our our main character. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, an invalid is kind of, it's a pretty generic diagnosis for like, he just can't take care of himself. So we don't know exactly what's going on. But for 38 years, he's been like this. So you can assume that it's, it's, it's pretty bad for him. Some people have suggested maybe he's paralyzed or he's got other diseases going on. I don't know. But verse 6 gives us more. So when Jesus sees this guy laying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the envelope replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So that's the scene. Jesus walks into this big crowd of sick and disabled people. I, I kind of picture it. He's just, excuse me, oh, pardon me, excuse me. Oh, sorry, sorry, excuse me. And he makes his way to this one guy 
I don't know why I chose him. But he goes to this one guy, and he asks him kind of a, I don't know, maybe an obvious question. You remember what he asked him? Do you want to get well? And I feel like, I always like to put sarcasm in people's mouth when I'm reading the Bible, because that's kind of how I would be. But uh, I think the guy was probably like, do I want to get well? Uh, yeah. And it crossed my mind a few times. I don't know, in the last 38 years. Yeah, I'd love to get well. Um, but this guy, <coughs> excuse me, this guy doesn't know who Jesus is, okay? I want to take a step back, because if you've been in church long, you might know that Jesus has the ability to heal this guy. And so you might be like, wow, this is this guy's lucky day. But this guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He has no idea that by this time in Jesus' public ministry, he's already done a ton of healing. Like he's already healed a paralyzed guy. He's healed blind people, people with terrible, incurable diseases like leprosy. He's done a lot of really amazing miracles. In fact, so many so, if you're skeptical of Jesus' miracles, this is an interesting piece about Jesus' miracles. He did them publicly, and he did them in front of all types of people, including people who uh, were his enemies, people who didn't like him. We talked about a guy named Nicodemus a few weeks ago who was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, in general, they weren't on the Jesus train. And so he was doing these miracles, and what's crazy is even his enemies, they would see the miracles, and they would be like, okay, he did a miracle. Um, they weren't denying that he did a miracle. They were like, we don't know why he's doing the miracles, and we're kind of angry about it. But no one denied that he did miracles. But this guy had no idea who Jesus is. This guy doesn't know that Jesus has the power to heal him. And so Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to get well? And I think it's interesting here that the guy does not say, what, what would you think would be the obvious answer for someone who's been sick for 38 years? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to get well. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that, probably because he doesn't know who Jesus is. Instead, he goes to what he believes is the most obvious response to his situation. He kind of starts to vent his frustration to Jesus. The implied answer is, well, yeah, I'd like to get well, but man, I, every time the water is stirred, I try to get in, and then other people push me out of the way. Like, I can't even get in the water. How, I'd like to get well, but how can I? And so there it is, this guy. He's our main character today. He's stuck. Did he want to be healed? Of course he wanted to be healed. That's why he dragged himself out to the pool that day. But in his mind, his only hope was that he get into that water. But of course, to do that, he's going to need some help. I mean, because other people are getting in there before him, and they're pushing him out of the way, and it's just not working. Uh, let's be honest. His best bet is to get into that water, and I think if we're all pretty honest with ourselves, we would all agree that magical ponds don't heal people. So even at his best bet, he was most likely not going to get better. This man was stuck. He was stuck very literally, uh, physically. And so we're going to kind of coin a, a, a phrase to call what he was stuck in is something I think that we can more likely relate to. He was stuck in his circumstance. That's what he, I mean, just what was going on was what was going on. The way we say it is, you know, that was the cards he was dealt. And I think that today is something that as we step into uh, this story and into our own lives and we look for keys to freedom, we can relate with that. Maybe you haven't sat by a pool <laughs> waiting to get healed, but have you ever been like, ah, I hate my job, but what else am I going to do, right? Or, we are never going to get caught up on these bills. Don't answer the phone. It's a debt collector. Like, don't. We're stuck in this circumstance. Maybe you've said, I'm never going to find true love. I guess I'll just be lonely for the rest of my life. Maybe you're physically stuck. Uh, my mom... Um, she has been just struggling, suffering from an illness for years now. 
Um, like generically, they call it fibromyalgia. Maybe you have someone who, you know, you know this guy there. Maybe you do. I know a couple of you deal with it yourself. And it's like, it's a really frustrating condition because it's not really technically, I think, a disease. It's just like a collection of symptoms. And it's hard to treat. And it's like, it causes a lot of pain and soreness. And it's difficult. And she's got all these specialists. And she's just constantly like, I just wish this would stop. And it affects her emotionally. And it affects her chemically. And it affects her physically. And it hurts. And so maybe you've been stuck physically. You're just like, I'm, I'm stuck in this circumstance. I can't get out of it. And so all this stuckness, these circumstances, I mean, maybe for you it's coming in, in like phases. Like there's good times, there's bad times. It's a roller coaster. Maybe for you, you were born stuck. We call it the vicious cycle. Like you were born into a bad situation. And it's like since the day you were born, something's pushing you down. You can never seem to get back up. Uh, maybe you've been stuck because of a mess you made. That's, let's be honest. We all, a lot of times, we get our own self into a mess. Or maybe you're stuck because of a mess somebody else made, and you're just laying in it. Whatever the case, this guy knew what it was like to be stuck in a circumstance. Very personally, quite literally, physically, and it was out of his control. There was nothing he could do about it. And so Jesus wants to show him something. So tune in here. There's no buildup to this miracle. Jesus just walks up. He's like, I'm about to drop this like it's hot. Like, boom, miracle. It's going to come on. Verse 8. Jesus says, get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. There's no abracadabra. There's no waving of the hands. He's like, you want to get well? Well, I can't get in the water. Get up. Huh? And this is great. And then once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. Our goal in this series is to, you know, they say when you've got a problem, the first step is to recognize you have a problem, right? Well, I think we could all recognize that we're stuck in various ways, whether it's our past, whether it's what we're dealing with now, whatever. And our goal in this series is, is to kind of collect a ring of keys. You remember that custodian in high school when he walked down the hallway, it was just like jingle, jingle, jingle. He had all these keys, and, and Jesus has got that ability to let us into any place to free us from whatever we're in. But he kind of personalizes it to what we're going through. And so our goal in this series is to get a few keys. And we've picked up four keys, at least so far in this series. Today, I got our first key. Our first key. And it's not actually the first thing that came to me. I really wrestled with this. I was kind of stuck in what to do with this passage because it seems a little bit generic. It's like, well, just go to Jesus. That's what you need to do. Go to Jesus. This guy didn't even go to Jesus. He was just laying on a mat somewhere. Jesus came to him. And so, like, what's the lesson there? Um, I would liken this pool to many of the things we have used in our life to get unstuck and things that don't work. Like how many of you have gone to your, your friends who have terrible marriages to ask for marriage advice? Don't do that. How many of us have tried to get out of financial trouble by making more and worse financial decisions? Like we, we make bad decisions all the time. And so we find ourselves in this position that we have kind of been like my nanny who is pushing the wrong button the whole time, and it's never going to fix anything. And so like, you know, I'm the preacher, right? I get to do this on Sundays, and so I'm supposed to say a churchy thing right here. And the churchy thing to say is, well, when you're stuck, brother, you need to read the word. You need to go to church more times, and you need to just go and have hands laid on you. And like, there's this kind of churchy side of me even that says, well, just, that's what you need to do. You need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to go to church more. And you do those things. Join a small group. Man, if it's real bad, join two small groups. And that's what's going to get you out. And on, okay, on the one hand, if you look back at our other stories throughout this series, that's actually a pretty good response. Because the answer typically is, well, go to God with it. And those are the ways we go to God with it. And so in no way are those answers wrong or unhelpful, but sometimes we're not even ready for that. 
And so when I look at the first key today, what do I see Jesus doing to this guy? Do you want to get well? Well, I can't get well. Can't get to the water. Pick up your mat and walk. Never once did Jesus look at this guy and say, have you prayed about it? When's the last time you visited the temple? Because, I mean, obviously you're not there right now. Uh, So Jesus doesn't sit there. It's not so much what Jesus does here that speaks to me which is healing, because Jesus heals lots of people. It's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't just try to fill him with religion. I, I, I don't know what other the lesson is other than, than this key that, that I kind of discovered, and it's this. You don't have to be perfect to be freed by Jesus. I don't know how much of that is, is a key as it is maybe the motivational cat poster in your office <laughs> that you just need to remember. You don't have to be perfect to be freed by Jesus. Have you read your Bible? Have you been to church? Have you done all this stuff? Yes or no? The, the reality is whether you have or whether you haven't, God wants to start with you right now. And he's willing to pull you out of that mess, boom, right now. And if there are some like, you know, consequences of some past mess that you've done, that happens and it moves on. Life happens. You got to deal with that. But you don't have to be perfect to be freed by Jesus. We please take that key and put it securely on your key ring today? As a church family, I wanted that to be like one of the, the, uh, like the battle cries for us. Like we're all messed up. We've all got past. That's why we're here. That's why we're sitting around the pool every day trying to figure out what's going to do to get our life straight. But Jesus says, just, I'm willing to help you pick up your mat. Let's start. There's this concept that God is sitting in a cloud with big lightning bolts. And his favorite thing to do is just to smite us with lightning bolts when we mess up. That is a lie. That's what pagans believe about God. But what God shows us is that he comes near. He became a human named Jesus. He came to the planet Earth in our mess so that when we're down there hurting, not only can he tell us to get up and walk, but he can get on his knees and help us roll the mat up. You don't have to be perfect. That's the first key. Uh, If we wanted to, we could honestly call it a day. Uh, I'd be getting done about 15 minutes early. We could close the book. We could walk out the door, and we could be done. And right now, you're like, that sounds like a great idea. I think we should do that. Um, But that wouldn't be honest uh, because that's not the end of the story. In fact, the more I read it this week, I told you I got stuck. This is why I got stuck because if you read the rest of the story, that, what I just said, is true. But it's actually not the point of the story. If we're going to be honest with Scripture, we have to read the context of Scripture. You have to read the whole story and what's going on. And what's really interesting here is that something else is going on. So I've got to say something right now. This is not going to be popular. I don't want to say it. I don't want to believe it. I'm actually a little bit mad that it's true. But i got to say it. Don't be mad at me. This is, this is just from God's concept. This is the unpopular statement. Jesus did not come into this world to make your life cushy and easy. That's not why he came. He didn't come to heal all the diseases. He didn't come to give you all the jobs you wish you had. And I think we've been guilty sometimes uh, as Christian teachers to stay up and give the impression that, you know what, like if life gives you lemons, Jesus can make you a lemonade stand owner. And that's not always what happens. Sometimes he's like, well, those are your lemons. Um, But I've got something bigger than the lemons for you. Did you notice there's this glaring detail in this story that just didn't seem very fair? 
and, and, and here's the story. Um, how many people do you think were at the pool that day that were sick or disabled? I don't know. It doesn't say. Uh, we know there were more than one because it said there were some people there. Okay, so let's do a little bit of math here. How many people do you think Jesus was capable of healing that day? Probably all of them. How many people did Jesus heal? One. If I had a dollar for every time some kid in my house said, that's not fair, I'd have like $714. Like, and I'm always like, well, life's not fair. And this story isn't a fair story. Why did Jesus go to this one guy and be like, get up? And everybody else was like, hey, I'm here too. There's no indication that Jesus went back and like, you're healed and you're healed and you get to roll your mat and you get to roll your mat. Like, it's, I don't know. Maybe he did go back. I don't know. But as I look at that, I look and think, this story isn't fair. Why this guy? Why not anybody else? What was Jesus up to? And I think it's because Jesus had a bigger lesson to teach us in this story than just, I have the power to make you well. Because he actually didn't have to do that anymore by this point. He'd already healed people. That point had already been made. I have the power to make you well. I think there's a bigger point, and I think it begins as you continue reading the story. We left off at the first half of verse 9, John chapter 5, verse 9. I want to read the second half of verse 9. It says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. I want to give you a little context clue. Whenever you're reading the Jesus stories throughout uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if it mentions that there's a Sabbath day in the Bible, especially in Jesus' story, you need to tune in because there's a reason that something happened on a Sabbath day. Jesus had kind of an agenda. He had kind of a plan, something he was working on. And so uh, what is Sabbath? Well, we talked about it a few times recently over this year. Sabbath is, um, it was part of God's plan for the Jewish people. It was part of the Ten Commandments. Um, For Jews, it was God's instruction to take a day of their week and rest and worship. That was the point of Sabbath. The word Sabbath means literally something more like to cease working. And so that's what Sabbath uh, is, but it's not just a Jewish concept. In fact, I would argue very strongly that it is a God concept, that as a a New Testament era Christian, Sabbath is equally important to us as it was to the Old Testament people. It's it's not something that's like, that's old rules. That's why Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Like, that's not... That's not what Sabbath is about. God has a plan for us to rest in him. This is the deal. When we take a day off, you know what we're saying? And we worship. We say, God, I recognize that it's not up to me to provide for me. The rest of the world will be fine while I take some time to rejuvenate, spend time with my family, and worship. Like, so you might need to hear that. That might have been the lesson. That might be your key. Take that. Put on your key ring. You don't have to work 80 hours a week to be a good person. That's, that's, that's capitalism. That's something else. That's not God's plan for your life. What he wants for you is to have this living ability. To be, so that's Sabbath. And so the day that this happened was on the Sabbath. And anytime something happens on the Sabbath in a Jesus story, you've got to lean in. So let's, let's go back to that, that verse again, the second half of verse 9, and keep going. It says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I said that it was a big part of Jewish culture, and one thing I didn't mention was that uh, the Jewish leadership at the time had taken the Sabbath day, and they'd made it a super legalistic, dogmatic, hardcore thing. And they made all these extra rules to Sabbath, not just take a day to worship, but you know what? If God doesn't want us to work, they have a list of things that constitute as work. You can't walk but a certain distance before having to sit down for a period of time. That's work. You can't carry this. You can't do that. You can't work at all in your yard. You can't do anything on a Sabbath. And they had actually made a rule that it was against God's law to carry something like a mat on the Sabbath. 
And they come in, they lean in, they're like, hey, do you know it's against the law to carry your mat on the Sabbath? That's, by the way, not God's intention for Sabbath. And I love, this guy's got to be like, what? Like, you can't even celebrate for the brother. He's been sick for 38 years, gets to stand on his mat, is like, oh, oh, excuse me, were you aware that you're breaking our rules? And he's like, I, I, this is my first day. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. And so they're like, well, who healed you? And he's like, well, um, I, it was G- this guy. He actually didn't know it was Jesus. It was this guy. He just told me to pick up my mat. He said, do you want to get well? I, and I was like, yeah, sure, I want to get well. He said, pick up your mat. So I was like, okay. And so they just kind of let him go. And then we keep in verse 12. It says, so they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. And Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Uh, Jesus is going to be right back. But he stepped away for a second. And I think in this moment, Jesus is kind of allowing us to kill two birds with one stone. On one hand, he's helping this guy out. 38 years, invalid, he's going to give him some hope and give him some life. It made a difference in this guy's life. But the second lesson that gets taught here is something about God's purpose for sending Jesus. He's going to be right back. Let me, let me take us in a side and tell a little story. There's a guy named Carlos Whitaker. Uh, Carlos is a pastor and a teacher. And an author, uh, and he tells a story about his dad. His dad had been a preacher. I think he was in Panama doing a revival. And so his dad had been at this revival. And uh, so a revival is a series of teaching. Every day you're having church, basically. And uh, so at the end of the, the first night of revival, this, this lady comes up to him and says, Pastor, can we please, can we pray together? I need you to pray something for me. Will you pray that God will sweep the cobwebs away from my life? I got these cobwebs in my life. And the pastor's like, yeah, that'd be great. So Lord, please help this lady. And sweep the cobwebs away from her life. Whatever's going on in her life. Thank you, Pastor. And she leaves. And the next day, she comes back. And she says, Pastor, thank you. Great sermon again tonight. I need to ask for some prayer. Would you please pray that God would sweep away these cobwebs that are in my life? Because I got these cobwebs. And they're just, would you pray that God would sweep them away? And, of course, the pastor's like, well, yeah. Yeah, I'd be glad to do it. Lord, please help this lady and sweep away the cobwebs in her life. The next night, guess what happens? She comes up again. Will you pray that the Lord will sweep away the cobwebs? And she, he's like, yeah, I pray. And so this keeps happening. So the finally, he's thinking about it during the day, that last day. And he's like, man, this lady's going to come forward again. I need to, man, God, he's praying for her. And, of course, at the end of his sermon, she comes up again and says, Pastor, will you pray for me? I, I got these cobwebs in my life, and I just pray that God will take away the cobwebs in my life. And he said, he stopped and he thought about it. And he looked at her and he said, you know what? No, I'm not going to pray for God to sweep away the cobwebs in your life. You know what I'm going to pray tonight? I'm going to pray that God will kill the spider that's making all these cobwebs in your life. And it becomes this theme that flows through the rest of his book. Kill the spider. So often we're stuck in circumstances. And we cry out for help. And we work hard to get out. And we, and we sit by the pond or the lake. And, and we push the wrong button on the monitor. And we do all these things. And the problem isn't that we've got cobwebs in our life. The problem is that there's a spider spinning webs in our life. There's a root to all of our issues. And that's like something you deal with when, if you're dealing with an addiction, if you're dealing with pain, if you're dealing with something you need therapy for. There's always like a deeper thing, a deeper thing. And that's why people hate going to therapy because the therapist is like, tell me about your mother. <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to talk about it. But there's something deep down inside that we got to deal with. And what we need is not that God will get out the feather duster and clean up the symptoms of our problems that he will get in deep and he will root out the deepest of our issues. And so Jesus is healing this man. But it wasn't about this man as much as it was about Jesus revealing to the world what he was really here for. 
God does want to erase our pain. He does want to help us when we are sick. There are invalids and shut-ins and, and people who are dying of cancer that God does come in and do miracles for. But that's not why he came. That's not his top priority. His top priority is to relieve us from the deepest cause of our pain. And that cause is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's not got our eyes focused on God. We live in a world where sin is a reality. And sin separates us from God. And Jesus is going to spend about the next 30 verses. I'm going to save us all a big bunch of time and energy. We're not going to read those 30 verses. But I encourage you to go read them. He's going to spend the next 30 verses debating with these religious leaders about what his purpose was. And they're fussing because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. He was like, what? You're missing the point. I came here to heal something even deeper. And so it's cool that we got this first key. You don't have to be perfect to be freed by Jesus. But there's a second key for us today. And I'm going to borrow the words from Carlos Whitaker's metaphor. Here's key number two. Let Jesus kill the spider. What's cool about that is that that's going to mean something a little bit different for each one of you. Maybe you've already had your sin issue dealt with. Like you've turned your life to Jesus and you're trying your best to live through that. And you've already given that part of your life. But you know there's all kinds of different spiders if you want to follow the metaphor. And you can get in there and God can come in and he can just start coming in and say, look, we need to get this out of your life. We need to get this out of your life. And stop time to sweep away the symptoms but get to the heart of what it is that's keeping us stuck in our circumstances. Jesus came to kill a spider. And not only did he kill the spider, which is sin and death, but he defeated it so completely that he rose from the dead himself. And this is the cool thing. God's rules like Sabbath and, and, his, and his expectations for us, those things were intended to give us life. And when we turn to Jesus, that's exactly what he gives us. He cleans out what's going on to keep, away, keep us away from him, and he brings us life. As we wrap up today, Jesus asked this guy, do you want to get well? And at first it seemed like such a stupid question. <laughs> of course I want to get well. But now it makes sense because I think Jesus asked each one of us that same question. Do you want to get well? Well, then will you let me come into your life and break up those circumstances? Starting now, starting right exactly where you are. You don't have to be perfect for God to free you. You just have to be willing. And I think as I look at this room every week, it's kind of, you know, the end of my talk, I can kind of imagine there's just a couple of different groups of people in this room. You might be someone who's here for the first, second, third time. You're like, man, I'm just looking for what's next. I like to say this, come back next week. Like, continue to lean into the Jesus story and say, what does this mean for my life? Maybe you've already decided I need to make some bigger steps. What does it mean to let Jesus come in and kill that spider? Well, it begins with turning our life over to him. The Bible teaches that if you want to uh, be saved from your sin, you've got to confess, you know, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord. I'm going to serve him as my king. The Bible teaches that when we make that decision, we follow through with baptism. We go underneath some water, and I love it. In Romans chapter 6, it says, when we go underneath the water, it's like we have died to our old self, but when we rise up, we raise to walk in newness of life. And in that passage in Romans chapter 6, it says that anyone who's been baptized has been raised to walk in newness of life. That Jesus, Jesus was raised from the dead. You too can have new life. Maybe you've done all that. But maybe there's some other spiders, whether it's addiction or self-loathing or other issues in our life. We can say, you know what, I need to stop trying to carry that weight by myself, but I need to lay it at the only person 
that can help. Stuck? Jesus has the keys to our freedom. Let me pray for us this morning. God, you are good. Uh, You are holy, you're righteous, and I guess those things are what make you worthy of our praise. And I thank you for having that opportunity for us to praise you. Father, as we we explore what it means to get out of our stuckness, I thank you for giving us a chance for freedom. And more than just our... uh, more than just our circumstances, but our, our sin, uh, our relationship with you, our relationship with each other. God, right now I pray over just in this room right now, I know there are people that are just stuck in, in, in circumstance, stuck in mess. And so I'm so thankful that we've gathered together just to kind of share some of that burden, help, help us to be aware of each other's burden and help us to do what we can to kind of find a handle and, and help to lift that and carry it to you. Well, thank you for this church family as we just try to love you more each day and love each other. And God, you are good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.